Hello, all of you Bulletproof Marketer fans out there. It's your host, Christopher Tompkins, and you are listening to one of our classic BPM episodes. So I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Social Marketing Academy. Uh, great episode lined up today. I have a good friend of mine, um, Greg Kilstrom, who is with the Agile World. He is going to be talking to us about a lot of different little elements of the business and his business model, as well as he is my go-to expert when it comes to customer experience and customer experience management and measurement. So that is a topic that I want to dive into as well, which I know that you had lots of uh, questions. I'll tell you a little bit more about Greg in about one minute or so. Um, so definitely tune in for our interview with Greg coming up shortly. Um, if you are visiting us or listening to us for the first time or watching us, because we do also have a video component of the Social Marketing Academy, there are many things for you to learn here. Uh, basically, what I do is I look at my network of experts and I bring them in so we can have a full hour of chat. So we can talk about any of the topics that you are interested in and get free consulting at the same time. So if you have any topics that you'd like to hear about on the Social Marketing Academy, maybe it is digital advertising, maybe it is consumer experience management, maybe it's affiliate marketing, maybe it's website design, SEO, just get in touch with me directly and we will get a new show slotted in with an expert that can answer your questions. So get in touch with me. The easiest way is check out our website, Go Sales and Marketing. That's my digital marketing firm, the Go Agency's website. There you can find out our podcast page. Take a look there. You can look at all of our past shows, all of our past experts, as well as get links to connect with them. I'll do you one better. If you'd like an introduction to anybody that is on, has been on a previous show, just ask. I will be more than happy to put you in touch with those experts to have them help you directly on any business concerns that you have. See, not bad, pretty easy. So what we want to do is uh, get Greg on the line, but let me tell you a little bit about Greg first. Greg's a best-selling author. He has a great book, by the way. You should be checking it out. We'll be talking about that in a little bit. Um, speaker and entrepreneur, which is why he's here, right? He has worked with some of the world's leading organizations on customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation initiatives before, during, and after selling his award-winning digital experience industry, uh, agency, sorry, Garazel 30. So we have a lot of questions for Greg that you have posed um, through social media. So I'm excited to get Greg on the line and start our conversation so you can learn more about um, how you can take advantage of that. And here he is, Greg, welcome to the Social Marketing Academy. Oh, thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you. Fantastic. Well, I just told the audience just a little bit more about you and your experience, kind of like I got your elevator pitch out of the way. So, uh, and how, please introduce yourself and just tell them a little bit about yourself um, and the Agile world. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I'm a consultant, uh, author and speaker that works in customer experience, employee experience and digital transformation. I am a, a couple time entrepreneur, um, sold, a, sold a couple companies. I write for Forbes and a few other 
uh, a few other publications and work with leading organizations to help them through transformational initiatives. So whether that's, you know, customer experience, branding, digital transformation, all those types of things, it takes a lot of people working together and, and really understanding what the common goals are. And right. I like to solve big problems. So it's, it's, it's fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think if you're in, if you're going to be in any sort of marketing at all, you have to be a problem solver and get passionate about that process. Yeah. Um, so okay, we were talking about when I was when I was going letting everybody know a little bit more about you. We we're talking about um, the company that you sold, Carousel Thirty. So okay, from my perspective, I'm always kind of like, "Oh, you sold your agency? How did you do that?" Because <laughs> I, I mean, I think everybody at one point or another is thinking, "Is there a way out?" I mean, can <laughs> what's the right. next step for me? Um, but. What was your experience? Okay, I'm, I'm interested. What was your experience starting, running, and then selling a digital experience agency? Yeah, so it's, and, and it went through many iterations. And, and right. so I will say, you know, I'm a, I'm a graphic designer by, actually I have a degree in photography. So no business oh, training, okay. no background in, in, in business whatsoever. So, you know, I, I made a lot of the common mistakes. One is, I started a company thinking that it would allow me to do what I love all day, every day. And instead I had to learn about HR and finance and operations <laughs> and all those other things. I've grown to, um, in some cases, love and in other cases, at least make peace with some of those things. But, um, you know, so I did, I did so many things um, the wrong way. You know, I started a company with some friends from, from college and okay. we all went and, and my ex-wife as well. So we, you know, all things not to do, uh, everybody still talks to each other. So that's <laughs> all well that ends well, but um, you know, so I, I did that. So I bought everybody out of the company, took it okay. over. It was literally just me for, um, you know, so I started my company back in 2003. So, and I sold in 2017. So for 14 years, there was a number of different iterations. So that was kind of the first iteration. And then I was, um, I was working a lot. I was so literally solo for about a year and a half or so. And I, I started outsourcing a lot to a few different companies. One in particular, um, I was starting to do all my work with, and then I ended up acquiring that company and bringing on um, the owner as a partner um, to Carousel 30. And then we ended up bringing on a third partner. So we had me as more of the creative and marketing. We had the technology person and we had an operations person. Um, that went on for a couple of years or for about four or five years. And then I bought those partners out. We kind of decided, had some slightly different we all talk as well, but it's still, we had slightly yeah, different, yeah. Uh, different goals for the company. And so then I, you know, after I bought the second round of partners out, I decided, you know what, this is good, but we were, you know, at most we were about 25 people, which, which is good. It was, you know, it was exciting. And, and there were, there were plenty of days that I wanted to sell way before I ended <laughs> up actually selling to your point. But, you know, I just made a decision when it was kind of back under my control that, um, I wanted to do something. I wanted to either grow a lot bigger um, mm -hmm. because at, even at that size, you know, 20, 25 people, it's, there's a lot resting on, you know, on a sole owner's shoulder, Yep. Um, either that, or I wanted to sell. And so, you know, I made some, some overtures as far as buying other companies, none of, none of it really panned out for lots of different reasons. Um, and then I quickly pivoted to just, you know what, I, I, I'm ready. It's been 13 years at that point. Like, 
I'm ready, you know, to what you were saying earlier, like I'm, I'm ready for something different. It's, yeah. it's been fun. I've seen a lot of things change at that point. But um, so, you know, the, the nice part is I positioned the company to do something financial that, you know, that either I needed to get a loan to help acquire a company, or I needed to show solid financials um, if I was going to sell. And so I had positioned the company to do something like that for about three years prior at that point. Uh, okay. It became it became pretty easy. You know, when I had a couple buyers, you know, there's, I had a choice of a couple to kind of pursue a little further. And I just, you know, I had everything ready, everything together. The company was doing okay. I wish it was doing better or else I'd be, you know, on a, my private island um, doing the Zoom. But, um, but you know, we, we were doing okay. It had a good successful sale of the, of the company, but it was because there was a lot of pre-planning and a lot of forethought done, not just like, oh my God, it's been a rough week. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to retire or whatever. Okay, so okay, there's a couple of things that you said that I'd like to dive into. One of the one of the things that I thought was really interesting was you mentioned that you had two times, there's been two instances in that life cycle of that company where you said you're not on board with the vision that I have for the company and I need to I need to hold on to that and I need to make a change. And both of those seem like they were very challenging because the first one were a bunch of people that were close to you that you had a personal history with. And the second one, you had financial interests as well as a professional relationship that you were a bond that you were building, both which seemingly are very different, but are very similar. Um, because I've been through those situations as well, not directly, but indirectly through consulting I've done as well. I think it's really, what, what triggered you when did, what, where were the flags on the play when you were like, I need to make a change? Like what, what were the indicators for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, first just general comment. I, I think all relationships bear similarity, no matter what type of they are. So it's right that, to that point, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think some of um, I'm, I have my own ambitions and my own kind of Right. vision for what I want to do you know everybody you know values are not good or bad they're just different so everybody has their own their own goals of what they wanted to do I would say you know in in the first case I think it was just a, a case of we were all young we didn't really know what we wanted there were some personal you know the the other the other people moved out of the area for personal reasons right. and so there was just we just kind of started things before we really thought through did we really want to do this for the next five years or not um i think that's kind of its own its own case i think in the second case where everybody was a little you know had a little more experience under their belts um i wanted to grow or make some big change and i think the other partners were were good with status quo and then again things weren't bad um, you know, they were, we were doing well, we were sustainable. No one was going out of business anytime, right. you know, for, for any reason like that. I just wanted a lot more and my other partners just didn't. And so, you know, fortunately we had the kind of relationship I've heard nightmare scenarios. I'm thankful I haven't had to deal with that personally, but, right. um, you know, fortunately we just kind of came to an agreement of like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, you know, a, one of them, is doing consulting solo right now, very happy doing that. It turned out like running a company was just not really what they wanted to do. They wanted a little more flexibility. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wanted a little bit more. Right now I'm consulting solo again. So I, I kind of, I, I know what that feels. I like that uh, flexibility to a degree as well. But at that time, 
you know, I, I had, you know, I wanted to grow or do something with it. So with the, so the first two times I understand. And then the third time when you decided to sell, was there any element of, I don't want to do this again. I kind of need to make a change to try something different or was it, is that my, am, am I picking up that? So I think it was, um, I, it didn't take me very long before I started another company. So it obviously, it, it wasn't, it wasn't quite, it was a different company. I, I think what, what I was seeing was the exact work that my company was doing. Um, so, you know, just as quickly as I can background, you know, we started, um, we always built websites. So that was part of the digital experience part that we did. Um, you know, we started building them for very small companies towards the end, much, much larger, but we also did like, I mean, back in the day, social media marketing, you know, in 2009, social media marketing was like, it was like magic, you know, people would pay uh -huh. whatever you wanted to like, put you on retainer to do it by 2017 everyone brought social media in-house, whether right, they, right. you know, whether their niece or nephew was doing it or they hired a real, you know, person <laughs> yeah. to do it. That's <laughs> depends on the organization. But, you know, we made money hand over fist doing social media and good work, but, you know, we made money hand over fist and then all of a sudden it dried up like almost yep. overnight. Website, the, the cost of a website went, you know, down. So in other words, the work that we were doing became commoditized so quickly. Yeah. I really, I knew that I needed to do something drastic in order to stay relevant or just, you know, kind of going on a growth trajectory. And to be honest, I, at the time, I didn't have all of that in me. I was burned out from 14 years of running a small agency. For sure. I got, you know, I got acquired by, you know, at the, at the time it was the, we, it was part of a roll up. And so we became the largest independent agency in, in the Washington DC area where I'm based. Um, so, you know, I, I was excited because, you know, I got to be part of a bigger team. I sat on the executive team, but um, as well, but, um, you know, I got to be part of something bigger, got to work with some stuff that I hadn't really done. You know, we were more, we were almost solely digital. The, the company that bought us also did video and events and some other things. So, um, you know, got some, got a, a chance to work with some other things, but um but yeah, it was just kind of ready to like, okay, let, let somebody else handle some of those other headaches. And let me just try being an employee, you know, for, for at least a couple of years. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand that. Um, so speaking of digital marketing, and I mean, your company is the agile world and you're all, all we've been talking about is pretty much agility, really, right? So how can digital marketers and agencies be more agile um, as this marketing landscape continues to change? Yeah, I can give you I, both ears on that one. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I really I try to embrace this this agile just, you know, I, I consider myself an agile person in just yeah. my career even. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying about the, the commoditization of, of services. And right. so I Early enough on, I um, I wish I would have applied this better, but I, I came to the conclusion that it's the agency's job to bring new stuff, and you know whether that's creatively always that's been the case, even you know since the the Mad Men days or whatever. But it's actually our uh, an agency's job to bring new ideas, new channels, new services, new things to the table, yep. with the understanding that the current and the old stuff is probably going to be consumed and 
like there's going to be a full-time position within the client doing that kind of work. And I think social media is the perfect example of, For sure. you know, 2007, there was no one in-house at a company that did any of that. Now there's, you know, there's entire teams doing that mm. and agency work. Is, there are agencies that do social media for sure, but the nature of that work, the price points, the, you know, the, the split between in, internal and external is very, very different than it was at first. And I think, yeah, sure. That's that's kind of what we're seeing, you know. It, I think in in anything is, you know, whatever's whatever's going on right now, it's going to be kind of consumed by the client, brought in house, and then it's the agency's job to do something new. And, um, you know, I think strategy never gets old and never no. never gets commoditized. So that's that's something. But that's where your strategy needs to be agile, and you always need to, you know, you the same strategy is not going to work year over year. So. Exactly. And kind of, it's interesting because um, we're a social, we're an organic social media first agency at the Go Agency. And the reason I believe that we have weathered the storm, like, because what you're saying is absolutely true. Um, we always approach our clients and we always tell them through the prospect, through the campaign, throughout that at any point they should be bringing this in-house. If you bring someone in-house, we will help train them. We will tell them best practices, but they're not always going to understand the next level things. And that's where we can offer the support. So we never said, push it all, push all the chips in with us. We are going to create something that you're investing in that you can then take in, take away, yeah. but we yeah. can still be um, add value through other elements. Now, would their campaign be as robust as it was before? No. But when you're grabbing for everything, <laughs> it's like it's like you're jumping out of a like a, a plane and you don't have a parachute, so you're trying to grab a bird to slow down. It's right. like the, right. it, you don't have to grab everything. You have to approach a client where they are, and I think that that's one of the biggest misunderstandings within the digital agency world that they're not looking at what's what infra, what the infrastructure of the company is and what they're looking for growth. I ask that immediately. I always say that. Well, you're talking to us right now. What if you had someone on your team? Would you like that? Is that something that's exciting to you? Right. And usually 50-50, they'll say, no, I don't want to see it. I don't want to do it. And then I'm like, okay, then after we do it for three months and when your boss asks why all these numbers mean, then you're going to be tasked to find somebody. And then that's when I can bring that conversation up again with you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because yeah. you have to, like you're saying, be agile. It's, you, I mean, come on, how many times have I changed our, our campaigns in the last two weeks for clients? I mean, so many yeah. things are happening. Yeah, and I think, um, so in addition to the strategic aspect, I also, you know, when you're talking about organic, like content is something that, I mean, TikTok can come and go and Snapchat and Facebook or whatever, like the channels themselves can come and go, but great content is great content. And I think that's another thing where agencies can shine is again, knowing what the mediums are and the channels are that that stuff needs to go on, having the strategy to, to put that and even just having the creative chops to, to make it and make it compelling versus, you know, that's, that's something where some, you know, large, some large organizations, they have great in, internal agencies and they do a good job, but that's, that's a tough thing for even big companies to do really, really well. And I think that's where I think agencies can focus as well as, I mean, measurement, you know, you bring that up as well as like attribution measurement, like that is, that takes someone understanding and keeping up with this stuff like day in, day out. I mean, that's Absolutely. something that I'm, 
on the customer experience side, I'm very deep into that right now. On right. The, you know, I own the marketing agency. That's something that we really brought to the table as well. And that's, again, that's something where as a client, you know, in-house, do you really want someone full-time on your staff that is like reading all the blogs and like understanding how do we get the latest metrics and the attribution modeling and, and all that stuff? And, you know, maybe for, you know, for, in some cases it makes sense, but in so many others, you know, that's another thing that agencies can bring to bear. Yeah. And I think uh, also if agencies are out there listening to me, um, one thing is that when TikTok comes up, use it to broaden your client's mind and their approach to creativity rather than forcing them into that slot. Because we found that there's a lot of things that are popping up now that aren't immediately relevant to the client, but if they are offered in a way that they kind of opens them up to understanding how it could work, that understanding is going to eventually, because like you said, these, these mediums are going to go away, but if they understand how short bite-sized video can enhance and engage with their audience, they're going to be more apt to do it on the main platforms that are going to suck all of those people in. And then it's going to be something that you have to do. Um, okay, so to take, I'm gonna take a little bit of a left turn. Okay, thought leadership is something that I, I'm really, really big on. Um, and I'm, I know that you are as well. So what do you think the role, how would you explain the role of thought leadership in building a brand? So even personal or a company? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the first way a lot of people find out about brands in the first place is because they're trying to solve a problem and they're not sometimes, you know, if, if I'm looking for a pair of socks, then yes, I'm going to go and either walk in the store or go online and like search for socks and whatever. But so often, you know, where thought leadership comes into play is you're, you're putting out, sometimes people don't even have the words for the problems that they have. And, and I think that's, it's such a, it's such a powerful form so of education. Um, and yeah, so you educate people, okay, this is the problem that you actually have. You, you have this, this pain point, but this is a problem that you actually have. Right. This is a way to solve it. And sure enough, when they start, you know, moving through, I mean, cause it's all about the sales funnel. It's, I think it, it, it's modified a little bit over time or whatever, but it, the stages in the sales funnel are still the same. Like people need to be educated before they start comparing services and products. So, bef you know, in, before they start comparing you to your competitors, they're going to do that, that educational stuff. Right. If you've given them the advice of what their challenges are and some ways to solve it, sure enough, they're going to turn to you for, Hey, can you solve my problem? So right. I think to me, that's what it's really all about. I mean, early on, you know, I'm there's here in DC, there's a million digital marketing agencies, you know, I was competing, you know, regionally, one way to set myself apart was just, okay, do I have something to say that is unique in, in the space? And, you know, at first, to be honest, I didn't, you know, and it took a little while to yeah. figure out what is my niche. And, you know, over time, I've started, I feel like I've I've built the, you know, this, this agile brand um, for myself because I, I believe so strongly in it. And mm -hmm. um, sure enough, there may be many things that, you know, the, it's, that's not a solution for, but when someone has a problem and they need an agile solution to it, they're going to think about me. And this is a good segue into, into your book. Uh, what's the premise of your book, The Agile Brand? Yeah, so it's really it's talking about to to branders and and marketers it, talking about the importance of customer experience. And so I think you know it's one of those things where 
nobody's going to say that customers aren't important or that you shouldn't have a great customer experience. Like that's, I think everybody agrees with that premise, but I think where everyone gets caught up is what does that actually mean to me and what I do within an organization? And so, you know, when I, when I told some of my like branding friends that I'm writing this book called the agile brand, they're like, what that's, no, like brands need to be like solid and you don't yep. change it and mm -hmm. need consistency and everything. And yes, there's a part of that, like your mission and, and your values shouldn't change day to day. And, yeah. and I think brands get in a lot of trouble when they all of a sudden put something out, you know, Super Bowl commercials that put some fake it might be a good message, but it doesn't feel right because they just kind of slapped it on their, yeah, yeah, their yeah. logo on something like totally. that's not that's not consistent values. That's not, you know, that, so in other words, there's those things that remain constant, but your audience is constantly changing. The market is constantly changing competitors. All of these other things are constantly changing. And so you need elements of your brand that are going to be agile as well. And so it's the, it's sort of this, like this, this two-part thing of this constant, like mission and values don't change, but everything else does. And you need to be nimble enough to to understand that and and it comes down to the customer and the power that customers have that they didn't decades ago i mean social media i think opened the floodgates it wasn't the only thing that ever did that i think even like consumer reports magazine opened the floodgates you know back in the day of mm -hmm. of giving some power to to reviews and and things but you know more more recently social and review sites and all of these things like consumers have so much power now that they didn't used to have. And that's not bad. It's just, it just is, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just, it's something that brands really need to embrace. And the ones that do, um, they're being successful. Um, the ones that also understand that employees are part of that as well, mm -hmm. um, are even more successful because, and, and, the fact that I can only count on my, you know, on one or maybe two hands, the brands that really, truly get that, is really sad, but it, you know, it's, it's something to, to look to. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, I, I could probably agree with your numbers on how many hands you can count the people that understand that is, I, I don't disagree with you. I've seen that firsthand. Um, okay. So say there is a, say there's a company um, that is looking to, they understand the importance of understanding the customer experience and they want to start maybe listening online what would what what would be like a piece of advice that you would give to kind of like how to get them started if they even wanted to dip their toes into understanding what that looks like yeah yeah so i think there's um you know depending on depending on the size of the organization and and just kind of how how long so the the practice of customer experience i mean if you're if you're a large organization you've been doing like net promoter score and you know all those surveys that we all get a million times a day you know how likely would you be to recommend like those kinds of things mm -hmm. they've been doing that for years the customer service or customer experience folks in a in an organization have been looking at those i think it's time for marketers and whether it's customer service or customer experience or both mm -hmm. to start talking and sharing that information and that data a lot more and so i think i have lots of feelings on those surveys as well they're not the end all be all but they are yeah. a, a nice relative measure of of customer satisfaction over time so by all means don't don't throw those away but I believe in listening at many, many points throughout the process. And so, you know, if you, right. if you look at, and I think the, the, the thing is, you know, this 
a lot of marketers are being kind of thrown like, hey, why don't you handle customer experience? You know, particularly like mid and, and small, small organizations. They're like, it sounds similar to, you know, some exec sitting somewhere is like, it sounds similar to me. Why don't you just own that? That's bad. And there's, there's, that's probably the topic of a whole other show, but, mm-hmm. um, but customer experience and marketing are listening at the same points for similar enough things that um, you need to understand, well, like what is turning someone off at, at all of the different points in that, mm-hmm. in that sales funnel. And um and there's opportunity there too from not only you know personalizing information at, at different points and you know to drive conversions um but also just personalizing so that people have the kind of experience that they want to have not everyone uses email as much as you know as much as the others some people right. want text messages some people so again it's not even about satisfaction it's about preference and it's about at the end of the day, nothing, nobody wins unless we make a sale or we get, you know, word of mouth or, or whatever the, you know, the, the, the desired results are. But I think just listening and being intentional about listening at these different stages is step one. Now, one thing going beyond step one, one of the things I was, I was just thinking about while you were talking is I was, um, I had a few uh, meetings, consulting meetings with um, a brand and what they had said to me, I said, well, are you doing, do you have any customer sentiment analysis? Have you done any um, research into your process? Do you have any feedback? What are kind of like the stumbling blocks maybe in your sales cycle that you've heard about? And they said, oh, we've done, a, we've done a full review of that. Excellent. I'll send you over the details. And it was a year and a half old. Um, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but how old is too old? I mean, when you're looking at data like that, because obviously I have to then think back to what the world was like when that was taken in terms of what the environments were. Was, it, was there a political climate? Was there, was there like a pandemic going on? Was right. there, what right. other things could color those opinions? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think research at any point, like to, to your point, as long as you have the context in which it was, in which it was taken, Research is always has some kind of value, but I think it's it, it becomes less valuable very quickly. Mm. And so, you know, I, I think I'm I'm a big believer in getting real time insights. Mm. And you know, the the data from last week, we're all a lot closer. What was going on in the world, or in the company, or on a campaign? You know, one week ago than we were 18 months ago. And you know, it's it's really hard. You have to kind of piece things together to try to figure that stuff out. Um, I, yeah, I, I think um, just understanding stuff as close to real time as, as possible is, mm-hmm. is just the best way to do it. And, and it's really the, you know, think to, to go back to the agile, you know, the agile marketing approach would mean, you know, we have these sprints of, you know, we're not, we're not doing a, an annual marketing plan. I don't even know if anyone does it like they used to way back in the day anymore, but you know, we're not doing a 12 month plan anymore. We're doing a one month plan, maybe if not two week plan and, you know, assess it. Like we don't want to do it so, so frequent that we don't have the benefit of getting enough data, but we don't want to also wait so long that again, we lose touch with what was going on. And I mean, customers change. I mean, so many things change so quickly. It's not even, you know, it's that, yeah, I think, I think we just need that at, at a frequency and, and if nothing else to just show the relative change over time. I mean, because uh, a, a good campaign may just have a shelf life of its own, regardless of how good it was, you know, a week ago. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, interested though, within with 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 your consultant with your consultancy, what type of questions do you help your um, clients out with? What type of what type of problems do they come to you with? Like, what's the what's the, like the number one issue that you're seeing currently? Yeah, so I think a lot of a lot of organizations are going through digital transformations right now because yes. they just can't get answers like we were just talking about. Like they would love to see real-time data or they would love to see the numbers from last week, but marketing has theirs and sales has theirs and HR has theirs. And in order to pull all those numbers together, it's going to take three weeks and <laughs> a call to IT that's like installing <laughs> yeah. some new platform for somebody else. And, you know, so just that's, that's the big mm. problem right now. I, I, I liken it to like asbestos removal or Y2K or whatever. Like, I feel like in 10 years, we're not going to be talking about digital transformation anymore, but mm. now it is such a big problem where, you know, again, people, got on board with the big data bandwagon and so they're collecting all this stuff but they forgot that they actually have to connect everything together in order to make mm -hmm. like real meaningful decisions from it and so that's really you know that's that's the big thing i solve for sometimes it's across an entire organization sometimes within it's within a team or mm -hmm. within a project but it's like um and and i think it's it it's simplified sometimes to, oh, well, that's a technical problem of like normalizing data so that, you know, one mm. database calls it the same thing as the other. There's cultural things that are required when you do a transformation. Like everybody needs to be on board with, with the idea of sharing and holding each other accountable and showing stuff that not everybody used to see. Like if marketing fails, HR is going to see it. And you know what? You need a kind of culture that like can look at that stuff and not point finger fingers and, mm -hmm. and whatever. So it's a, you know, it, it's, it's leadership driving change. It's everybody, you know, being okay with kind of everyone seeing things in a little more democratic way. And then I guess the final thing is everyone being okay with continual change. And that's a big, it, it, there's All the right. big change. And then there's the continual little change that yeah. a lot of people aren't used to that either. Yeah, and and I, I would say that that's one of the things that I've noticed uh, just overall when I see any companies that are moving into different areas that they were uncomfortable with or putting more weight into areas that they haven't put more weight into previously, even if we're going straight up on social media, um, it's they don't know how they're going to be reporting. They don't understand what the metrics are going to be. They are thinking, okay, well then what's my ROI? And I always say, Okay, slow your roll there, Haas. The, 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 the ROI is there's two sides of that. There's a return on influence and then there is a return on investment. But you have no conversion points on your website. None of your copy is converting. Your website's super duper slow. You want me to drive all of your traffic there. There's other things that we have to address first. And I think sometimes in the past, that was the end of the conversation. Oh my God, I have to design my website. That's gonna take me six years. Right. Now it's a whole different conversation. And there's someone actually said to me recently, um, is it possible to get a report on demand? And I said, for what? And they told me what they wanted. And I was like, yeah, I mean, let us make sure that no one's at lunch when you're asking for it. But yeah, I can pull it. Everything's set up. We're, we're like, oh my gosh, when we ask for our people internally to do that, it takes them sometimes three or four days. And it's like, well, you're not set up for success yet. And, you know, let me help you. 
but um but yeah real-time data is a game changer is but again that culture is something else because if you're looking if the market especially the marketing and sales teams that's where i think a lot of the friction is yeah yeah exactly yeah because i mean it's i think it's the class it's a stereotype but that doesn't make it not true is everybody blame you know sales points their fingers at one way marketing you know it's it's their fault right that that my numbers aren't where they need to be and you know instead of um you know data has the ability to democratize a lot of things that are happening within yes. I mean, within the world at large as well but you know within an organization and i think that's scary and i get it you know when you're when your whole thing is kind of like us versus them within an organization it's scary to think that oh wow marketing you know if you're in the sales team marketing's going to see if we're driving towards our numbers or not and we can see exactly what they're doing you know that's that's a scary thing but it the those those walls have to break down in order for organizations to really be successful and that's yeah that that cultural change it's it's tough and you know even it's tough when leaders don't really aren't on board with that as well because it, you know it's got to be driven by them and that's that's where i do a lot of my work as well as working with leaders of organizations to kind of they've got to see it first and then they can roll it and kind of reframe through you know with their team of like you're not just the sales team anymore you know you're part of this there's a there's a big organization out there you know you're you're part of that you know your job is to is to help marketing get better data not mm -hmm. help sales win the fight between sales and marketing or whatever whatever it was yeah no and i think that's really smart greg because getting the leaders engaged is always Sometimes it's challenging because they want the result, not the process. And, and I think that that's a big miss on a leader's point of, like from a leader's perspective, because your team is going to be humbled by what they see. And also as a leader, if you're, I think if you're a leader and you're invested in it and you really know what's going on and how this is going to roll out, you're going to see who's really producing. Now you're going, now these people could think that they're producing, but not be, and those people they're focused on the wrong goal. So just pivot them. But then there's the people that are padding their lives to be safe. And then right. those are the ones that are going to be squeaky and they're right. going to be problematic, but maybe they're in the wrong role. Maybe you can move them laterally. Maybe they need to leave. There's, there's so many options. Well, and sometimes it's, it's um, yes, <laughs> but you know, and sometimes it's that people are given the wrong goals. You know, I mean, you know, someone whose goals are reframed as, you know, your your goals span several several teams or, or departments or whatever now, as as opposed to what they used to be. I mean, people, a lot of people like winning games that they're given, and so you know that if they're they quickly find out how to win, and you know, if winning isn't necessarily always in the best interest of the company. Mm -hmm. um, it's not really their fault. You know, their boss gave them like, here's how you win at this game. They're going to find out how to do it. Like I'm, I'm that kind of person too. I like to, I like to win. I like to figure out how to solve a puzzle. Really? Um, but I don't, you know, if I'm not given the full information and if the, the rules of the game are not set for the whole company to win, then shame on leadership for not, you know, set make, creating a game that is, you know, where everyone is incentivized to do the right thing as opposed to just, look like they're being successful so yeah and i think that one, one from the experiences that i've had in this game is that um, metrics are always the one that where everyone gets really stuck 
And it's the scary thing to define because I, I mean, God, I wish I had more hands. I could, I could count all the times that I've seen a lead categorization and the lead categorization, which is, um, it was defined in one company that I didn't work with, but I just, I, I was commiserating with one of my um, colleagues and uh, my partners. And they said that um, they had defined a lead for sales, anyone that shows interest in the company. So every single person that visited the website was counted as a lead. Every single person that signed up for the newsletter was considered as a lead. So then the sales team was saying the marketing materials were poor because they were getting so many leads and no one was interested when they were calling. They were trying to email and call every single person that was, they were selling to people that just wanted to sign up for the free white paper or the free, man. Talk about a mountain to climb on that one. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, that's, again, they were incentivized to get a high number of, maybe it was phone call. You know, maybe they were they were graded on sales, number of sales calls. Uh, obviously yeah. not completed sales, but, yeah. but whatever that metric is. Yeah, it's just, you know, you got to give people the right, you, you have to give them the right incentive, but you have to give them the right target. Um, to to achieve and yeah there, there's going to be bad apples there that are just they're not good fits for the team but I do think if you frame the objective in in a way that's beneficial not just beneficial to that team but beneficial to everybody I I mean I'm an optimist I guess but I, I believe that a lot of people will do the right thing and 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 you know reframe their behavior and 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 perform better Yep, I think if it, if the if the leadership endorses a structure, and it has the right incentives associated with it, absolutely, I, I think that that's and I've I've seen organizations the leadership being the issue, um, the leader being not super engaged, and the team understanding they're not engaged, so feeling like they didn't need to put in the full whack of engagement because their leader wasn't. Um, but okay, let's let's take a little bit of a turn. I have another question for you um, in terms of um, customer experience. What should marketers familiarize themselves with outside of the immediate realm of marketing? Yeah, I mean, I think understanding, um, so I think the relationship between marketing and customer experience, I mean, it is, it is so parallel um, that it's good to understand just the, the different, um, I mean, first of all, in order to be a good marketer, you have to empathize with the customer. That's, you know, that's what we do in CX as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very similar. We, you know, as a marketer, you want to retain customers and achieve word of mouth. Well, sure enough, that's what, that's what customer experience wants as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think where, where there's nice overlap and where sometimes I think other, you know, execs get, get this confused is, Marketing still needs to drive action and 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 sales, or at least sales qualified leads and and, and things like that. Customer experience needs to be concerned with, um, you know, some of those qualitative things that mm -hmm. or preferential things. And you know, while marketing may care about that because it drives a better lead if you reach someone on the right channel, I think you know, uh, build, building a little more empathy to some of those other things beyond just what calls to action are gonna, you know, are gonna be most effective and, and everything. I think that's where CX and, and marketing can learn from one another. And even saying it out loud now, it's not that different when you really think about it. I think yeah. smart organizations that separate those in, in the right way um, 
those those teams can work together very collaboratively and yet not step on each other's toes. And and I think where I've seen you know customer experience done really well is there are um, like steering committees or some kind of group that works together across you know it could be marketing communications customer experience hr it you know lots of different parts of the organization kind of working together and mm-hmm. i mean even finance i mean if you think about how do you get you know if you're a b2b company that sends out invoices what's the process for accounts receivable you know within an organization mm-hmm. that can be a terrible process if you you know if you're late on your bill and someone harasses you yeah. that's a whole customer experience issue that you know, marketing doesn't know why there's drop off after, you know, after 30 days or something. Well, yeah. you know, maybe your accounting team is just rude or, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, bringing these people together, kind of sharing those pain points, I think, um, you know, uh, so I guess short way of saying that is understanding the entire customer experience across different teams you know it's you know we do a lot of like journey mapping and, and things and yeah. you know, marketing does that as well from their own perspective but you know really understand like what's the customer feeling and and who's who are they interacting with at yes. this company at each of those stages and what does marketing need to know can they help craft messaging at each of those stages so that it feels on brand um, and then, you know, let the CX team or the IT team worry about some of the underlying, whether it's technical or, or platform issues. And, and it's everything you said, I'm completely on board with, because one of the things that we did was um, we were noticing that the energy level was different at different parts of the customer journey. And we noticed that people were reacting oddly. Clients were acting oddly in different parts, and we couldn't really pinpoint what the thing was. And it was because the sales was really, really, the sales process was really, really empathetic. Then it got into the campaign and it was very aggressive. And then the, the collections was very cold. And then I said, Hey guys, let's all, let's all, let's take a look at this. And we did, and we discussed it and we found out, Oh shit, we need to kind of have the same. Let's, let's, let's all be friendly. Let's all be nice. Let's all be empathetic, but let's have that energy. And we made that change and it's completely different. Because before they didn't want to deal with our, they would ignore the billing questions. Now they'll, they're responsive. And then they don't, they were feeling like the salesperson was just closing them and going. Right. And right. Then we, we incorporated the salesperson into the onboarding process. And then, so it yeah. it's really is a game changer. Like everything you're saying is spot on. It's a really good thing to look at because the things that you can learn are, are really shocking you know if you keep yeah. your eyes well yeah and i think you know those those billing people they're not marketer you know they're i'm sure they know you know a, a ledger like you know <laughs> like like nobody's business mm-hmm. but their job it, their job isn't even in customer service and so i think that's that's where you know marketing can play a big role of just yeah. like tell me wh- like show me an email that you sent to someone that's 45 yes. days late on their bill let me help you craft that. Cause I know, you know, they're mm-hmm. probably writing it from an accountant standpoint or a bookkeeper standpoint mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's probably factually like dead on accurate or whatever, but it's not friendly and it's cold to your, you know, to your point. And so let's, let's drag that brand all the way through the process. And I think that's where marketing can really be valuable there. And if they only understand what are all of these messages going out to customers and, you know, how can we help kind of make, make consistency there? Yeah. I have a, a hot, a hot tip. It's something that I do internally 
is anytime I receive an email that I think I never want anyone to sound like this, I share it with the staff and say, never sound like this. Yeah. Because this is yeah. completely the wrong message. This is completely not how you should be talking to somebody. This is not on brand. And it's actually really helped um, shape the shape the internal culture. Right. So yes. with, with that kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of wrapping up. Do you have any tips for um, companies out there, entrepreneurs that are looking to create agile brands or all, also having their company agile? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, it's it's got to start with really understanding what the benefits of agile are, and and so you know, I think um, it's it's one thing to say that word, and you know, it's I it, and some some years it's trendier than others to use that word, and, mm -hmm. and whatever I, I use it no matter what. But it's like <laughs> I think you have to really understand what it is, what the benefits are, and what the potential um, downfalls are. And so you know, the the way that I look at it is to me. Agile is not being reactive. And so, you know, when, when we talk about being agile, it's actually being scientific and methodical about change, as opposed to saying, you know, it's, it's like, I can pull up Google Analytics and look at real-time analytics and see, oh my God, uh, our campaign is failing right now because we're not getting the traffic that we wanted. Let's scrap everything and start over. That's being reactive. That's not, no, yeah. no one should do that. Mm -hmm. But to say, you know what, we're going to run this campaign for X amount of days or a couple of weeks or, or whatever, we're going to take all the data, we're not going to make changes, you know, just willy nilly, maybe if something just egregiously is wrong, or what, if there's a typo, we'll fix it. But we're going to let this thing run, because a lot of thought and a lot of planning went into it, a lot of research and everything, we're going to take this and at, you know, methodical interviews, intervals, you know, sprints, we're going to adjust and optimize and, and, and things like that. And so, you know, in marketing, I think marketers in general kind of get that, you know, whether they, whether they adopt it so formally or not um, is, is, you know, depends on the, the marketer, but I think marketers in general have kind of gotten their heads around that idea simply because yeah. things like analytics are, are more prevalent and easier to access and everything. I think as a business, it's harder to do that because I, there's a lot of other places within an organization that mm. are, that pride themselves on consistent, you know, it's like talking yeah. about the brand, you know, it, a, a brand is, uh, you know, there's pride in, in consistency and the accounting team and HR, you know, is very, can be very compliance focused. And right. that's a good thing that they're compliance focused, mm -hmm. but the world is changing and, you know, people are, are resigning from their jobs and, and applying at rates. We haven't, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things changing in, in so many different ways that we need to start taking a look again, not being reactive, but being methodical and agile in our approach. And I think that's the place to start is just start thinking, well, if my entire organization was to be more agile and take a, take a methodical look at how to change, what does that really look like? And, you know, again, some, some parts of the organization may be that your IT team may already be super agile and that's the way they think because they're all software developers 